This episode is sponsored by Celestron, manufacturer of high-quality telescopes and an industry leader in developing exciting optical products with revolutionary technologies. I'm Kelly Beatty of Sky and Telescope magazine, and tonight we're going on a tour of the stars and planets that you'll see overhead during September. This month, we'll celebrate the equinox, stalk the harvest moon, check in with Saturn, Jupiter, and Venus, and explore the Southern Triangle. So grab your curiosity and come along on this month's Sky Tour. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, by now you've surely noticed that the daylight hours are getting shorter. Back in July, the change was oh so subtle. But now we're losing a couple of minutes of sunlight each day, more so if you live farther north. So it's with mixed emotions that I tell you that the equinox falls on September 23rd at 2.50 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Now that might seem late, because it usually falls on the 22nd. But remember, we're not that far from 2024, a leap year, and February 29th. So in case you're curious, the equinox hasn't fallen on September 24th since 1931, and it won't occur on the 21st until the year 2092. Anyway, whatever the date, on September's equinox, the sun momentarily shines directly down on Earth's equator as it heads south in declination. Equinox comes from the Latin word equinoctium, meaning equal nights. Days and nights everywhere are both 12 hours long, and the sun rises due east and sets due west, no matter where you are. You might recall that last month featured two full moons, the second falling on the night of August 30th. After that, it started rising later each night, and so early September will feature moon-free skies in early evening. Last quarter falls on September 6th, and it won't rise until close to 11 p.m. New moon follows on the 14th, and a few days later, you'll see the slender lunar crescent return to the evening sky. It fattens to first quarter on the 22nd. Full moon follows on the morning of September 29th, at least in the Western Hemisphere. This is the harvest moon, the name traditionally given to the full moon closest to the equinox. We call this the harvest moon because, at this time of year, the nearly full moon rises only about a half hour later on each succeeding evening, as opposed to the usual 50 minutes. It has to do with the shallow slant of the moon's orbit with respect to the eastern horizon right now. This geometry gives farmers a little extra late evening light for harvesting their crops, hence the name. The effect is more pronounced at higher northern latitudes and less so down south. The harvest moon usually occurs in September, but not always. For example, two years from now, it'll fall on October 6th. If you're looking for planets, there's one that's obvious in the evening sky and two before dawn. After sundown, swing around to the direction opposite of where the sun set, and you'll spot Saturn low in the southeast. It's pretty easy to spot because there aren't many bright stars around it. Saturn was at opposition, that is, opposite the sun in the sky, on August 27th. So early this month, it's just about as bright as it'll be all year. And yet, if you spend much time watching the planets, don't you get the sense that Saturn is a little, well, off? The truth is that Saturn is not as bright as it was a few years ago. 
The reason is that this planet's magnificent ring system appears thinner and thinner. We'll see it edge on in 2025. And those rings contribute to the planet's apparent brightness. To see any other bright planets, you'll either have to stay up later or get up very early. Jupiter follows Saturn into the evening sky, rising in the east around 9 p.m. on September 1st, but closer to 7 p.m. at month's end. You won't have any trouble spotting Jupiter. It's roughly 15 times brighter than Saturn and vastly brighter than any of the stars around it. Or if you're an early riser, you can get up around 4 a.m. and you'll be greeted by Saturn setting in the west, Jupiter high up in the south, and even brighter Venus blazing low in the east. In late September, you might also spot Mercury. Look for it below Venus, down closer to the horizon. Jupiter and Saturn are far apart in the sky right now, roughly seven times the width of your clenched fist held at arm's length. But just three years ago, in September 2020, these two planets were really close together in the evening sky. They've moved apart since then because Jupiter glides eastward among the stars at a much faster clip. The king of planets takes 12 years to circle the sun, but Saturn moves more slowly, taking its time and making the round trip in 29 and a half years. Summer might be ending astronomically, but most of summer's stars can still be seen. Topping the list is the trio of bright stars collectively called the Summer Triangle. Finding them is easy, even if your backyard is hopelessly awash with light pollution. Lift your gaze up, way up, to find a bright star that's almost directly overhead. That's Vega, or some people say Vega. It's in the constellation Lyra, the Lyre, and it's relatively close by as stars go, just 25 light years away. Vega and its relative proximity to us figured prominently in Contact, one of my very favorite movies. Astronomers gauge a star's brightness by a number called its magnitude, and Vega is an important star in this scheme. Some 2100 years ago, a Greek astronomer named Hipparchus decided to create a method for organizing stars according to their brightness. He called the most luminous ones stars of the first magnitude, and he ranked the fainter ones as second, third, fourth, and fifth, like the prize order in a contest. The ones that are sixth magnitude mark the limit of visibility to the eye. Modern astronomers have assigned Vega the magnitude of 0.0. .0. Now, it turns out that four other nighttime stars are brighter than Vega, and so their magnitudes are negative. One of them is in the evening sky during September. I'll reveal its identity in a moment, but look around for yourself to see if you can figure out which one it is. If you're looking up at Vega, you should also be seeing the two other corners of the Summer Triangle. One is to the south of Vega by about three times the width of your clenched fist. That's Altair, and it's the main star in the constellation of Aquila, the eagle. The name Altair, an Arabic word, means the flying eagle, and it's been used since medieval times. The third star of the triangle is about two fists from Vega toward east. That star is called Deneb, a westernized version of the Arabic phrase for hen's tail. Deneb does mark the tail of a bird, but it's a graceful swan, the constellation Cygnus. At the swan's other end is a medium bright star called Albirio, Arabic for the hen's beak, and it lies close to the middle of the summer triangle. Now in between Deneb and Albirio is a row of three stars that mark the swan's body. 
The brightest of these, and the one closest to Deneb, is named Seder. That's Arabic for chest. And from this point you can make out the swan's wings extending on both sides of its body. If you're able to get away from city lights and get out under a really dark moonless sky, you'll see that the swan is gliding right down the middle of the Milky Way's soft glowing river of starlight. By now you've figured out that the Summer Triangle isn't really a constellation, but instead an easy-to-spot trio of bright stars. Now, it turns out that two small and dim constellations lie inside the Summer Triangle. If your sky is decently dark, you can look for them. The first is called Sagitta, which is Latin for arrow. Slide your gaze one fist higher up than Altair. Then look for four stars in a compact horizontal line with two very close together on the right end. That's the feather of an arrow that points to the left. There's actually a fifth star marking the arrowhead, but it's quite dim and harder to spot. The other constellation is tucked directly below Alberio in the head of Cygnus. It's called Volpecula, which is Latin for little fox. All the stars of Volpecula are quite faint, so you'll have to take my word for it that there's a celestial fox here. In fact, even though this constellation name has been used since the 1600s, there's nothing close to being shaped like a fox among these faint stars. Okay, time's up. Have you found the star that's brighter than Vega? Well, if you look west, well above where the sun set, there's a star that looks just about as bright. That's Arcturus, the anchor star in the constellation Boötes. And technically, it does outshine Vega, but only by 5%. Actually, Vega probably looks like the brighter star, both because it's overhead, where there's the least haze, and because Arcturus is slightly reddish. That's about it for this month. If you want more tips for viewing the night sky, check out our website, skyandtelescope.org, which offers great star and planet gazing activities. If you haven't already subscribed, you can find this Sky Tour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And please do leave a review or a rating. It'll help others to find the show. And if you want to explore the solar system and universe more deeply, please check out the full line of binoculars and telescopes available at Celestron.com. Sky Tour is a production of Sky and Telescope, a division of the American Astronomical Society and it's produced by me, Kelly Beattie. Next month, we'll spend a little more time with the lyre, the eagle, and swan, and explore the myths and legends surrounding them. Until then, I wish you clear skies. <laughs>